Good morning. Um, my name is Russell Vick, and I am the curate here at Incarnation. And if you don't know what curate means, it's just a fancy Anglican word that we use to refer to a pastor in training. So that's what I am, a pastor in training. Um, and as I have been praying and discerning and training for the pastorate, one of the things that the Lord has been doing in my life is teaching me to be someone who asks the right questions, to be someone who has a more curious mind and does not settle for easy answers. And as someone who has grown up within the church, it is particularly easy for me to be someone who offers quick answers to difficult spiritual questions. And like confession, or not even confession, I don't know what it is, but I don't think this is something I particularly struggle with, um, but it is something that the Lord has been bringing to my attention for me for the past couple years or so, especially when I began my studies in formal theology. And I admit this to you because this is something that I have often done whenever I read this passage. And having heard this parable many times throughout my life, I have too often settled for easy interpretations without wrestling with the difficult things that Jesus is saying here. This is a passage where Jesus talks about heavy topics, things like stewardship and judgment. And if we read this text faithfully, then this passage should bother us. Or at the very least, it should push us out of any complacent interpretation that seeks an easy spiritual answer to the hard things that Jesus is saying to his, to his disciples. But I also believe that Jesus is saying something really important. And if we listen carefully, I believe that we can have a greater vision of the life that Jesus invites his disciples to live. And by default, have a greater vision of the life that Jesus is inviting us to live. So at this point in the story, Jesus is living in Jerusalem with his disciples right before his crucifixion. He has had multiple public conversations with the Pharisees in the temple courts and is continuing to reveal the true nature of God's kingdom in a way that challenged the Pharisees and their religious assumptions. And after Jesus leaves the temple with his disciples, they privately approach him and ask him about his coming as the Messiah and when will the end of the age occur when the Messiah will make everything right. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and begins a long private conversation beginning all the way back to chapter 24. And he says some unexpected things about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells them that when the kingdom of heaven comes, it will bring hidden things to light. Instead of bringing salvation and political freedom from the tyranny of Rome, God will bring judgment on everything that opposes God's justice. And this justice will especially fall heavy on the people and institutions that have the appearance of religion without the true heart of faith. And it is near the end of this long conversation that Jesus then shares this parable with his disciples. And this parable is meant to be an intentional parallel to his previous parable of the 10 young women and their oil lamps, which was the passage Amy preached to us last week. And like last week's parable, it's meant to be a warning. 
And the fact that Jesus is sharing this parable of warning specifically to his disciples already says something that should strike our attention. It, this is a parable specifically for those who identify as being followers and disciples of Jesus. And the story is simple and straightforward. A rich man decides to go on a long journey, and he divides his vast wealth between three of his servants to steward his money. And each servant is left with a large sum of money, most likely divided according to their various financial abilities. And when the master returns from his journey, two of the servants joyfully show their master the rewards of their financial stewardship. And both of these servants have doubled their master's profit, achieving vast financial success in pleasing their master. But the last servant comes up to his master and he says this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your money in the ground. So here you go. You can take back what belongs to you. And the master becomes angry and just tells this guy off. You wicked and lazy servant. You didn't do anything with my money? If you really believe me to be such a hard master who would punish you for losing my money, at the very least you could have put this in the bank so that it could collect interest. You could have minimized the risk and still reap a financial profit. But instead you did absolutely nothing. So I'm going to take the money that I gave you and give it to the guy who made the largest profit on my behalf. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then I'm going to throw you outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as someone who grew up hearing this story, I always glossed over the harsh parts. And it really wasn't until recently that I have begun to ask the questions that I wasn't really asking before. Why did the servant who gave back the money receive such a harsh punishment? In what way was the servant acting wickedly? Was he punished for his lack of ability? Was the so-called wicked servant right to fear his master and to call him a hard man? What is it that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples? Now, as I was thinking about these questions, one of the things that particularly stood out to me in this passage is the master's willingness for his servants to share in the stewardship of his wealth at all. After all, this kind of responsibility would not have been given to just any servant, but only to the ones that the master deeply trusted. In a very real way, the master is giving his servants the opportunity to meaningfully participate in his work, to use the riches of his own resources to produce a greater financial yield. The master is demonstrating a deep level of trust to his servants and is hoping that they will steward well what he has given them. And the way the wicked servant responded to the master's trust not only demonstrates a lack of basic initiative on his own part, but it also reveals a lack of trust in his master's goodness. He believes the master to be a hard man, and rather than do anything productive with what he has been given, he decides to do nothing at all. For this servant, the financial risk was simply too high, and he decided to play it safe instead of being obedient to his master. 
As I stated earlier, this parable is intended to be a warning to his, to his disciples. And even though this parable may seem harsh, Jesus is revealing to his disciples the definitive expectation that comes from being his follower. And the expectation that Jesus has of his followers is that they would be a people who meaningfully produce a spiritual yield for the good of the kingdom. Or to borrow a phrase from German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this parable is showing those who claim to be followers of Jesus the cost of discipleship. To be a follower of Jesus means that we steward the things that God has given us for the sake of God's glory. And this is not something radically new, but it is something we acknowledge every Sunday in our liturgy. After all, what is it that we hear and say in the offertory? Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory of your majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. So this is a challenge to us. Are these just really nice spiritual words that we say, or is it a, rea a reality that we truly believe and live out in our daily lives? And I do mean that it is a challenge to us. Um, I mean, shoot. It's, one, it's a challenge to me. It's one of those secrets in seminary, like when you have to preach a hard text on this, you end up preaching to yourself. Um, and it's convicting. And I join you in that. It's convicting. Um, and while Jesus' challenge is convicting, I want to be clear, the conviction of the Lord restores us and builds us up. It never shames us or breaks us down. And so as I close my sermon, I want to leave you with two questions for us to privately consider. And then I'm going to linger here for a moment, and I'll repeat the questions. And you can write them down. Um, you can pray about them in this moment. You can think about it later in the day or through the week. Um, I'm just going to linger here, and then I'll end with prayer. So these are the two questions. Number one, what are the things that God has given me? And number two, how is God inviting me to steward those things? So I'll repeat those questions. What are the things that God has given me? And how is God inviting me to steward those things? And I pray that as we consider the answers to those questions, that we may grow to be a people who live as if Jesus really meant what he said, to be a people who walk in the way of the cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work. 
and the ways that you invite us to join you in it. Give us eyes to see what you are doing in the places you call us to go, in this time that you call us to live in, in the lives of the people placed in front of us. May we become good stewards of the blessings you have given us. For all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Amen.